verses here. And just for the record, just for the record, I do not plan to preach for an hour and a half. Somehow that rumor got started (laughs) this weekend. I don't know who started it, Uh, but that's not the plan. That's why I'm not preaching the whole book of Revelation. I just want to look at four verses here this morning with you. And as we do that, I want to talk a little bit, though, about Revelation, about why this book, why this time, right? Do we live in a day, in an age where there are challenges? Would anybody here this morning, and and I've got the microphone so you don't get to, but if you had a microphone, would you want to give testimony to difficult times that you're facing in your life? Could you, could you stand up and say, hey, life has not been a cakewalk the last couple of years, right? I think that a lot of us could say that, and, and it would be strange then for us to say, well, let's look at Revelation because, yes, I'm preaching from Revelation, but I don't have any charts with me this morning. I don't have any uh, eschatological system to give you this morning because that's not what Revelation's about, right? How many of you have a car with an owner's manual? Now, now, this is an important distinction because a lot of us have cars without owner's manuals because we buy cars that are too old that have gone through too many hands before they get to us, right? But if you've got a car with an owner's manual and you went to your glove box, that's where we normally keep them, right? You go to the glove box and you open it up and you pull that owner's manual out. You wouldn't read it front to back. And then afterwards, log into whatever uh, Goodreads account or whatever you do and, and, and log in and write a review of the owner's manual. The plot was very dry. (laughs) Almost no character development. Zero out of five stars would not recommend, right? That's not what owner's manuals are for, right? And, And oftentimes when we look at other books, we tend to evaluate them by whether or not we like them, by whether or not they appealed to us. But we're starting at the wrong end. If you're looking at an owner's manual, if you're looking at a book, the first thing you need to ask is, what's the point, of this book. What, what, what is the author's intent for this book that I've been given? The book of Revelation, oftentimes we look at it and we think that the book of Revelation is about the end of time. That's not what the book of Revelation is about. Right? If we go to the book of Revelation and we're looking for information, we're looking for a system, we're looking for something that's going to tell us how it all plays out, we're going to end up being disappointed and probably confused. Because the original purpose for this book was not so that we would have all the answers to the headlines that we're reading around us. Instead, the book of Revelation was written to a group of Christ followers who were living in a context in which the the world was really radically opposed to them. The whole system of the world, the whole system of the government was against the Christians and was against everything that they stood for. And the book of Revelation is written to encourage the people of God, to encourage them in the midst of hard times, right? And so you look at the book of Revelation. If you go there looking for a, a system, what you end up being is disappointed because you realize every other person that looked at it for a system, they came to a different answer than me, right? If you were to survey the room about what we think is going to happen in the end times, then we would probably have a lot of different opinions. But that's not what Revelation's for. It's written to encourage the people of God when the people of God are facing hard times. And so if everybody this morning could give a testimony of a hard time, of suffering, of difficulty, then this morning the book of Revelation is for you. 
We're just going to look at the introduction here. We're just going to look at a few verses. But I want us to understand what this book is for. It's to encourage us. So church, let's read together in Revelation starting in chapter 1 verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who, was, who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we look at this word, as we think about hard times, as we think about difficulty, as we wonder about the future, as we worry about our past, our decisions, we think about this next week and the next month and the next year and who knows what else, God, may we be encouraged this morning. That where we do not know, you know. That, that where we are not sufficient, you are sufficient. God, I ask that you would encourage your people today. Encourage our hearts through your word, through the presence of your Holy Spirit, through the good news of your Son. And God, would we then be ambassadors of the kingdom? Would we be your representatives here? Would we encourage the hearts of those just as we have been encouraged? Lord, would you receive all the glory, all the praise forever and ever. Amen. So as we, as we look at these four verses or five verses, math never was my strong suit. Eight minus four is four, but there's five verses here, I think. Anyways, leaving that aside, math not being my, my strong suit, right? I like words a lot better than I like numbers. But even so, in the book of Revelation, one of the things you notice as you start reading through this book is you notice there are numbers all over the place, right? He, even here, we've got this little introduction. I'm not going to go into it all, but you've got the, the seven churches. You've got the seven spirits of the Lord. You've got all of these different things. But one of the things in this text is you've got these sets of three. You've got these sets of three. And, and, and John doesn't call specific attention to it, the author. He, he doesn't call specific attention to it, but, he, but he's clearly laying out. There are these sets of three. And the first one that we see is right there when he says, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, that set of three makes sense to us. What's in view there? Right? It's the present, it's the past, and it's the future. Right? That set of three kind of covers everything. Outside of your present, outside of your past, and outside of your future, what else is there for you? I think that pretty much sums it up, right? That pretty much covers it. So God is the one, Jesus is the one who is, he's present. He's the one who was past. He's the one who is to come, future. But that's not the only set of three. And, and, and honestly, in this text, there's, there's more sets of three than we have time to look at. But another one is the description of Jesus. Look, look here in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, and, he's, and then John describes him. He is the faithful witness. Right? 
What's a witness? Oh, this is okay. You can, you, can, you can talk. You can talk. Go ahead. We're all friends here, right? Some of, we, some of us haven't met yet, but we're all friends here. What's a witness? A first-hand account. Somebody who's seen something, right? If, if you are driving down the road and, and you see a wreck happen, what, what's happened? You are now a witness, right? If, if you're called into court to testify at a trial and, and they're calling you because you saw something, what are you? You're a witness, A witness is somebody who speaks to what they've seen. A witness is somebody like Jesus, who's the faithful witness. He came and he bore witness to what he had seen. As a matter of fact, in one of John's other books, Jesus says, this is the reason I came, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus is the faithful witness. John wants us to understand that, but he goes on. He says he's not just the faithful witness. He's also the firstborn of the dead. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the one, he's the first one ever who rose from the grave in the particular way that he did. Now, this is, this is where we always get, you know, some of us are nerds. I'm a nerd, right? If you don't know me, you should know that now. Some of us are nerds. We like to, we like to get pedantic. We like to argue about things and like, well, technically... Uh, Jesus was not the first one raised from the dead because Lazarus, the widow at Nain, you know, like we got all these other people that rose from the dead, but they weren't the same kind of resurrection. Every single one of those other resurrections was really more of a resuscitation because they were going to die again. Jesus' resurrection was to an entirely new kind of life, though. When John says he's the firstborn from the dead, he's pointing us to the fact that, yes, Jesus came back from the dead. Other people did that, too. But the particular way that Jesus came back from the dead is unique because his resurrection is not to another death. His resurrection is to a new way of life, a forever kind of life. He's the firstborn, which implies that there's going to be others, right? He's the the firstborn, but it implies there's going to be more yet to come. We'll get to that. The third thing in this list is that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's a strange phrase when you stop to think about it. What's one of the titles that we use for Jesus? We call him the King of Kings and... What's a king? Dude in charge, right? The king is the person above whom there's nobody else. And yet, John is saying, "This this is the guy, Jesus is the guy who's the king over all the other kings. So as high of an earthly power as you can imagine, as high as anybody in the first century could have fathomed, the king... Jesus is king over him. Now, the people in the first century, they were facing some challenges. The people in the first century had a government that was directly opposed to what they were doing as Christ followers. You guys may have heard stories about how the Roman Empire treated those who called the name of Christ. You might have heard about Nero blaming the fire in Rome on the Christians. You might have heard of how he put them in the arena with wild animals to be torn apart, how he dipped them in tar and lit them on fire to be the light for his party, right? This was not just the emperor, though. There were a lot of people who did not approve of Christianity, and it went from Nero on down through to others as well. And now John is saying, hey, the guy who's in charge of these guys who are making your life difficult, that's who I'm talking about. So these three things that he gives us, he says that Jesus is a faithful witness. He's the one who tells us about the truth. He's the one who bears witness to exactly what he's seen. He is the firstborn from the dead to a new way of life. He is this one who rules over the kings of the earth. 
But John's not done. He's not done because then he's going to describe. So uh, just back up for a second, actually. Let me back up. Three sets of three we're looking at this morning. The one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. Jesus, this faithful witness. Jesus, this firstborn from the dead. Jesus, this ruler of the kings of the earth. And we could sit there and say, well, yeah, but I thought this was supposed to be encouragement for me. What about, what about me? Well, good news. John addresses that. Look at this next set of three. He goes on after describing Jesus. He says, to him who loves us. That's the first one. This Jesus, this faithful witness, this firstborn from the dead, this ruler of the kings of the earth, this Jesus loves us. Now, this is something that we try to get away from way too quickly. We, we, we try to get so sophisticated, we try to, to get beyond it, but let me tell you, one of the most beautiful theological truths you will ever learn, if you grew up in church, you learned it in preschool. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? I didn't sing it because I love you guys. <laughs> but you were hearing it, weren't you? Right? If, if, if for some reason that's not a song that you recognize or something, feel free to ask anybody else to sing it. Maybe one of the people that was leading us in worship. Don't ask me to sing it. But it's a wonderful song. And it's about the most depth that you can wring out of the Bible. It's right there on the surface. It's super simple. Jesus loves me. And yet, what an encouragement when we're going through hard times. What an encouragement to remember when we don't know how we're going to pay the bills. But Jesus loves me. What an encouragement when we get that phone call about our loved one and the diagnosis and we can remember Jesus loves me. Right? We don't want to run too fast from that, but that's, that's, not the, that's the first thing in the list. He says he not only loves us, but he released us from our sins by his blood. His love has a particular shape. It has a particular expression and the deepest expression of it is that he frees us from our sins. This Jesus, the second thing is he frees us from his sins. How does he do that? He sheds his blood for us. Jesus did not deserve to die. We're told elsewhere in scripture, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, and yet scripture over and over and over tells us Jesus didn't sin. Well, I thought he was the firstborn from the dead. If he didn't sin, why did he die? If that's the wages, we pay wages to somebody who's earned them. If Jesus didn't earn it, why is Jesus dead? He's dead because we earned it. And he said, on behalf of these that I love, I will take their sin. I will take the punishment that they deserve. I will die so that they don't have to. I will die so that they can live. I will die so that as I am raised from the dead, so too they will be and experience this new kind of life, this eternal kind of life. Jesus is that, the one who freed us from our sins by his blood. But that's just number two. That's just number two in our third list of three. Our third list of three continues. This is the last thing he says. And he made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Jesus does not just love us. He doesn't just die to save us. He also forms us into something. He's he's making us something. He's making us to be a kingdom 
for him. Now, this is not how we normally think about kingdoms. We normally think about kingdoms as lines on a map, right? Right? We normally think about kingdoms as, you know, you got a flag and you got a pledge and you got an army and you got a government system that might function depending on, you know, the current moment. Anyways, but they, that's, that's what we think about when we think about a kingdom, a nation, a place. And yet he says, no, 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 no. Jesus has made us his kingdom. Jesus has made us his kingdom. Hey, did you guys know all the words to the songs that we just sang? Now, some of you did, but some of you didn't. Because some of the, some of the words to that one song, they didn't sound like the English I grew up speaking. I've been in Kentucky for a little while now. That doesn't always sound like the English I grew up speaking either, but <laughs> I know, I know that we were singing something else. We were singing in Spanish, right? right? We, we were singing in a different language without regard for a border, without regard for a boundary, without regard for a flag, and yet we came together. And Joe talked about this partnership we have in the gospel, a partnership that extends beyond geographic borders because Jesus, this one who loves us, this one who died for us, is making us into a kingdom, people, not place. And those people can be found all over the world. You can find Jesus' people, Jesus' kingdom in America. You can find them in Mexico. You can find them in India. You can find them in Australia. You can find them in Bolivia. You can find Jesus' people in a lot of different places. But it's one kingdom. It's one kingdom, and Jesus is the one who reigns over that kingdom. And it's not just any kingdom. We are a kingdom of priests. Now, that, that, that can bring up some weird imagery in our mind if we're not careful, right? Because we're flashing back to the Old Testament. We're flashing back to knives and blood and all that stuff, and that's not what's being talked about here. We're told in Hebrews that the priests used to stand and offer sacrifices, but now we don't have to anymore. Because there's one sacrifice, Jesus. Jesus' blood was the last blood that needed to be spilled to bring people back to God. Jesus' blood is now what we bear witness to. This kingdom that we're a part of that transcends borders, this kingdom that we're a part of that Jesus has been creating, there is a purpose for our existence and it is for others to know and to be invited in. Until that great thing happens that we're told about later in Revelation where there's a great multitude standing before the throne of God from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, but a new kingdom without regard to geopolitical boundaries. This is crazy. This is crazy. Look, we went from talking about our troubles. How many of you were thinking about that when you were hearing about what Jesus has done? How many of you were worried when you were hearing about Jesus' purpose for his people, his love for us, his resurrection and his intent to, to do the same, to save us from our sins, the consequence, to make us a kingdom. That's the encouragement that John gives us. That's the encouragement that John wants us to see is whatever we are facing in a moment pales in comparison to what God is doing with history pales in comparison with the destination towards which this kingdom is directed. It's incredible. It's incredible how once we shift our focus, once we quit looking out at what we're going through, how God can 
encourage us. How we reset our thought processes. Now, does that solve the problem of how you're going to pay your bills? Does that mean that diagnosis is not still standing? No, it doesn't. But here's the encouragement. All those lists of three that we just talked about. Jesus, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Jesus, the one who's the faithful witness. Jesus, the one who's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus, the one who rules over the kings of the earth. Jesus, the one who loves us, who's freed us from our sin, and who has made us into a kingdom. All three of those interconnect, don't they? I don't know everybody's story in here. I don't know everybody in here. But I know that everybody in here has faced trials, either that you're going through right now. I know that everybody in here has stuff in their past that they wish wasn't there, that sometimes late at night comes back and haunts, creates feelings of shame and guilt. And I know that there are those in here who look at the future and who are just plain terrified, worried. What's going to happen? I can't imagine. How are we going to get through this? And in each of those moments, present, past, future, we have the encouragement from this text here. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. And so what I'm going to do, and and I really don't know if I can pull this off, especially not in the hour that I have remaining with you guys. (laughs) I want us to weave these three together. I want us to think about this. You're going to need to be looking at the word, either on the screen, thank you, Don, or in your Bible in front of you. And look at how John weaves these together, these sets of three, very intentionally put together. Jesus, Jesus is the focus here, and in the present, he is. Why does he start with the present? Why does John not start with the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That's the logical order, isn't it? Now, some of you are really logical people, and that's been bothering you this whole time. Why did we jump into the middle of the story, then we're rewinding, then we're shooting back to the front, right? If you did a movie that way, everybody would be confused. But John's got a point. he's, He's got a purpose in how he's laying that out, the one who is. This present moment, we need to look at that. We need to wrap our heads around the fact that Jesus is. How many of you, independent of any substance help, have ever seen Jesus? (laughs) Am I allowed to say that, Joe? Is that okay? Sorry. I probably should have cleared that one first. Right? We don't expect, we do not expect to encounter Jesus, especially not Jesus the way we're used to seeing him, right? By the way, just so we're clear, Jesus was not blonde, he was not blue-eyed, he did not look like a European, he looked like a Middle Easterner, right? Jesus is the guy that gets randomly selected by the TSA today, okay? That's Jesus, all right? That's who we're talking about here. But you haven't seen Jesus, right? You haven't seen him in the flesh, unless I'm mistaken. But he is. That, I think, is why John takes that and says, let's look at the present first. Because if we start with the past, we'll be tempted to think, this is the guy that used to be. 
This is the guy that they wrote books about, and there's all, but it's all in the history. It really has no bearing on your life today. We're sitting here 2,000 years later from the time when Jesus walked the earth, and it'd be very tempting for us to think, well, that was then. This is now. And, and John wants us to understand right off the bat, no, he is. Whether you see him or not, he is. The resurrected life that he is living means that he is as much alive right now as he ever was in the first century A.D., Jesus is, and that's the encouragement, but then let's put that together with the second list of three. Jesus is right now the faithful witness. Jesus is right now the faithful witness. Elsewhere in scripture, we see that Jesus is currently right now interceding before God on behalf of his people. Jesus is the one who answers the accuser. Jesus is the one who is standing before God and saying, No, whatever you may hear about this person, they're mine. And that's the only thing that matters. In the present moment, right here, right now, in a way that we probably can't wrap our heads around, Jesus is faithfully witnessing about us to God. And through the Spirit... Right? You guys have been learning a little bit about the Spirit, haven't you? Right? Through the Spirit, right now, Jesus is bearing witness to us of the truth about God. Right now, we don't have to go to the Internet to learn about God. Right now, we don't have to go to some prophet to learn about God. Right now, we have the Spirit of God bearing witness to us through the Word. It's interesting that John begins his gospel with that as the title for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the Father. This faithful witness of Jesus in the present moment goes from us to God, goes from God to us. He is doing that right now. Why is He doing that right now? Why is Jesus investing Himself in that work? It's because of the other list of three because he loves us because he loves us Jesus is bearing witness about us to the father because he loves us Jesus is bearing witness to us about the father because he loves us in the midst of our difficulties in the midst of whatever we're facing right now in the midst of whatever struggle you are going through Jesus is And he is bearing witness to the truth, and he loves you. Now, that that whole love thing, that gets gets thrown around a lot. I love pizza, all right? I love love Don Alsop's cookies. (laughs) Right? That's not what the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, Right? I love my kids. I love my kids. Today is the first birthday that I haven't been with one of my kids. Mariah, my youngest girl, she's turning eight today. Yeah, yeah. And, and God loves us as his children, but that's not the kind of love that's talked about. I'm standing in Utah while she's celebrating a birthday. Jesus came and died for us. His love is And it is a faithful witness to the truth. Jesus loves us right here, right now. And John wants to encourage us. Don't forget that. 
Don't forget that. But then let's weave this next part together, right? He says he, he is, and then he, then he shifts to the past, and he says, and he was. Jesus was. Now, this is really important, and it doesn't always strike us as so, but it's really important to bear in mind that Jesus was. Jesus actually walked the earth. Jesus is not a myth. He's not something that people made up. He, the Son of God actually came and walked this earth. Now, why does that matter? Because Hebrews tell us, tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are. And yet without sin. When you look at your past, when you look at those things that you wish you hadn't done, when you look at the things that you wish you had done, the encouragement of Christ is, I've been there. I know. I was there for that, but I was there before that. We're told that the word was there at creation. The world, the, we're told in Colossians, he was the one upholding, or is the one upholding creation. He's the one who's been there all along. And he was there with you in that. No matter what it was, no matter what it is now that you're looking back at thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Oh, I can never recover from that. Oh, look at the people I've hurt. Look at the damage I've caused. Jesus was, he knows, and he doesn't condemn. Instead, what's the next thing? He's the firstborn from the dead. He says, this past no longer defines you. You're now defined by the future. He says to you, watch what I went through. Look at the way I suffered. If you're suffering, understand that there can still be great good that comes beyond it. Not necessarily this idea that, that everything in and of itself is a good thing, but that everything in and of itself is one day going to be behind us. The grave, the cross, all of that, that's past for Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. And in doing so, he released us from our sins, that third triad. In, in doing that, he released us from our sins. We are no longer defined by our sins. We live in a day and age in which it is quite popular to go digging through, the people, through people's past, looking for a transgression, and then saying they are forever marked by that transgression. There is no possibility of redemption. This one ill-thought-out word, this one sin, this one action is enough to condemn somebody for life. And yet, Jesus knows everything about our past. Now, some of you were fortunate enough to grow up in the days before social media. So your past is not nearly as accessible in a cancel culture as some of us, all right? Jesus has a better record than Facebook. He knows more than Twitter. And he still says, I will release you from your sins. You don't have to be defined by that anymore. What's past is past. I still was willing to die. I still am willing to give you hope. I still am willing to grant you forgiveness. But it's not just present. It's not just past. It's future, right? Jesus is, was, and is to come. Now, this is the best news possible. We've been going through the book of Acts at Edgewood recently, and by recently I mean for the last seven months. <laughs> and for the next five months as well. We've been going through the book of Acts and we've been seeing how this is taking place, how, how all of history is kind of laying out and how the, how the church is going out into the world. And you know what's a key point? Almost every time the gospel is presented in the book of Acts, this Jesus whom you crucified, 
This Jesus who died for your sins, this Jesus who offers you forgiveness, he's coming again. He's coming again. And it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to look at the future and instead of feeling hope, it's easy to look at the future and say, I don't know what to do. I I just, I can't imagine Right? Some of you are of a generation that you look at the world that your kids and your grandkids are going to inherit. And you're thinking, I don't know how they're going to handle that. I don't know how they're going to make it. This looks nothing like the world of my childhood. Those first century believers that John was writing to, they were seeing all this upheaval too. Every generation since has looked at the world and thought, I don't know how my kids are going to make it. But Christ followers have been faithful through the years because their hope was in what was to come, what had been promised, not just what they feared, not just their anxieties. Jesus is to come, and when he comes, he's going to be revealed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to be revealed as the one who reigns over the kings of the earth. I really could care less. Is that the proper way to say that? I could care less. I couldn't care less. I could care less. I could care less. No, I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. Bear with me. I get there eventually. I could not care less about the state of politics in this country right now. And that's a really sad thing to say. And it's, it's probably a sinful thing to say if, if you take it to mean that I'm not engaged or that I don't think you should be engaged. But I don't care. That's not where I put my hope. That's not where my peace is. That's that's not what I intend to do to create a legacy for my kids. Oh, I got to make sure I get the right guy in. Oh, I got to make sure I do this, that, or the other. No. I got to raise my kids to look for the long for the coming of Jesus. I've got to raise my kids to be as passionate about the kingdom that they are a part of, that transcends geographic boundaries as they are committed to the country that God has placed them in by his grace. We, church, are not looking to the next election. The the hope that we have for the future is not in seeing the recession Or is it a recession or not? Are we allowed to talk about that too? I'm stepping on all the toes this morning. All right, okay. Whatever, that's not the hope. The hope is Jesus is coming and he's going to rule over every king. Jesus is coming and he's in charge. And he made us to be a kingdom. We do have a task, right? It's it's, it's so tempting for us as Christians to think, well, Jesus did everything. Well, yeah, he did. And he invites you to be a part of it. it. It could have been so easy for Jesus. It could have been so easy for God to send the Holy Spirit and for the gospel to be impressed in the hearts of every single person on the face of earth. And then that would be the end. Done. Solved. No more suffering. No more fear. No more past. No more present. No more future. We're not worried about any of it because, hey, history is over. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the nations and then the end will come. And yet he didn't do it that way. Instead, he entrusts it to this kingdom, to these priests. And he says, hey, you guys join me in this work. Join me in taking the good news of the hope of the one who is and who loves you right now. 
The one who was and who died for you. The one who is to come and who will reign forever with those who are his. And we're given that hope. And as priests seeking to bring others with us before the throne of God, we go into the world and we say, let me tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. The one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. Church, be encouraged. Whatever happens this week, be encouraged. Whatever you're worried about from last week, be encouraged. Whatever you're thinking right here in this moment, would this guy quit so I can go to lunch? Be encouraged. Be encouraged because Jesus is and was and is to come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you.